Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast by Youthopia. Join me in meeting the youth of Singapore who are making a positive impact to the world around them. So our guest for today is Adriel Yong. Adriel is one of the founding members of a social mobility non-profit organisation that supports disadvantaged youths with career exploration programs ranging from workshops to mentorship. So, hi Adriel. Hi Nicole, glad to be on the show today. Nice to have you. So, I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation today and the topic that we're going to discuss is helping disadvantaged youths understand the vast expense of the working world and why this is important. So, I think let's start off with talking a bit about what social mobility is because you guys are a social mobility non-profit organisation, right? So, tell me a bit about that and why it's important to be aware about it. Yeah, so social mobility has a very broad definition, which is that, you know, you want the child to have a better life than their parents. And that's really about intergenerational social mobility, which mm-hmm. Singapore focuses quite a bit on. Um, the sort of social mobility that access um, focuses on, or how we break it down then is, you know, we look at education specifically. And even within education, we are looking at education and career guidance support for disadvantaged students. And why we think that matters is, you know, a few data points. Um, One is really because our own experiences in secondary school informed us that a lot of the experiences that we get, whether it's extracurricular with our teachers or in the classroom, um, shape the sort of post-secondary choices that we make or even the aspirations that we have. And that was something um, the founding team shared Mm. in, in terms of how Um, certain opportunities were given to us in secondary school which really altered the trajectory of our life afterwards. Mm. Um, The other thing is also, you know, when we were doing our research and trying to understand how do we sort of contribute to to supporting social mobility in Singapore, we found some interesting research and statistics um, done by people like the National Youth Council and um, SMU as well. So I think one study by the National Youth Council shared that um, young people actually said that um, lack of connections to the right people was the fourth greatest challenge faced by um, respondents out of 32 different challenges, right? And the SMU study um, shared that the number of disadvantaged students in Singapore who have no clear idea about their future job is slightly less than the OECD average. Mm -hmm. In contrast, the number of advantaged students who have no clear idea about their future job is significantly less than the OECD average so from there, you can see that clear disparity between advantaged students who have a lot more idea about what they want to do in mm. life, whether it's post-secondary, post-uni, etc., in comparison to disadvantaged students. Um, and in the long run, we think that social mobility is particularly important in you know, giving people hope in their country, right? Fostering that sense of belonging, social cohesion, um, and so on. Mm. Very interesting. You touched on some very interesting points. I think the first thing I wanted to ask is you mentioned that you and some friends recognized that some of the opportunities that you were given during the periods of like post-secondary education right help you realize that this is important so share with me a bit about that yeah so um personally i think one of the most pivotal moments during my secondary school education um so i i was actually a really bad student i nearly retained in secondary two because um, I was really playing a lot of computer games. Um, I remember having to send many, many emails um, at the end of secondary two to like um, my school principal to appeal, you know, um, to move up and, you know, to even go to like different classes. Um, but in the end, I was, I, I made it to secondary three, but I was streamed, the combined science stream, which is typically known as the, the stream for those who can't study because the yeah. good ones go to triple science, yep. pure science, etc. A lot of the opportunities, extracurricular ones especially, or leadership development opportunities in school, 
usually go to those who you know, come from better academic streams. Um, even leadership opportunities within your extracurriculars were given to those who could study because one reason the teachers cited back then was that if you can't even focus on your studies, how do you take on extra responsibilities? Mm. And it felt very demoralizing, point after point. Um, and I think the pivotal moment for me was really when um, the humanities teacher, my, my teacher, Miss Tan, um, offered me the chance to go for this humanities scholarship um, talk because she thought I had a flair for the humanities. Mm. Um, and I think that talk really opened my eyes to the range of opportunities and careers within the public service. And the sense of mission was something that I really resonated with because back then I was also, you know, um, serving in house committees, um, uniform groups. So the sense of purpose and mission and what I do was particularly important and resonant. Um, so that point marked where I, I, I guess I put in a lot more effort to my academics because I really wanted to, to go to a junior college and um, take up a public service scholarship in the end if that was possible. After that, you know, when I shared with her after after the tea session that, oh, I was I'm really interested in pursuing this as a future path. How do I do it? Um, she really gave me a lot of support and my form teacher, Mr. Tan, both of them really gave me the extra support. I remember Mr. Tan would stay back after school to to give me additional math coaching because I was not great at the sciences or math at all. And I really had to put in a lot more effort than my peers to catch up. Um, and Miss Tan would, you know, really give me additional support in terms of sharpening my writing and all that. And it was really common to just stay back until like 6, 7 p.m. in school, alone in the classroom, just like writing essay after essay and practicing um, problem set after problem set. Um, so for me, I would really say that that one extracurricular opportunity gave me a lot more motivation um, mm. in my academic um, pursuits. And, and that made all the difference from there, whether it's going to junior college, going to university, um, even my, my choice of career in the public service. Um, and even for, you know, the rest of the founding team, I think Clarence, the founder, found his um, calling in, in serving the community after secondary school when he started volunteering with the community. Mm. Um, and since then, pursued the idea of, you know, building a non-profit or social entrepreneurship for that matter. And I see that, you know, in my different friends who also found that calling in secondary school, coincidentally, you know, because they were studying and they saw something in the textbook that spoke to them, but because of a particular opportunity and because of the mentorship and extra support that certain teachers um, gave to them, which I think is very powerful. Oh, but I'm wondering, is there like a reason why, and you mentioned that in the in the studies that uh, you picked out from SMU and NYC, right, that youths in Singapore, disadvantaged or advantaged, are much less aware about the career choices that they have compared to like other OECD countries, right? So yep. is there like a particular reason for this? Hmm. Yeah, I think definitely it's true that most people don't think about what they want to do in the working world mm. at the age of 15 or 16. And I think that's also one of the challenges we face when we try to convince students, particularly students from disadvantaged backgrounds, to come on board for our programs, right? And bearing in mind that this is an unpaid program during the holidays. Yep. And they could be doing part-time jobs to supplement their family incomes, which is really common when we speak to some of these students who come. So we rely a lot on um, the teachers in the school to, mm. to support us in getting the students who will benefit and who may benefit from this program on board. Um, I think there is also that part about how, um, you know, looking beyond the, the immediate term benefit. Mm. Um, even today, you know, when I in, in my university, um, I do know friends who don't see the point of doing internships or doing any form of work 
And I think it does limit severely the sort of um, experiences um, you accumulate during university, which is supposedly a time for exploration, perhaps the best time for exploration of what yep. you're going to do before you enter the workforce. Um, and, you know, I think one of the problems is that we often focus too much on our grades, right? Um, one mm. of the, the drivers of social mobility in Singapore is meritocracy in the form of academic grades. So a lot of students see that as the, the priority, whether it's in secondary school, um, IT, polytechnic, um, junior college, university. And the challenge with that is there's that mismatch with um, what the workplace demands, which is mm. real-world experience. Um, how able are you to be proactive in your jobs? Um, how confident are you um, with scoping out a project on your own? learning on the job, whether it's from Google, your friends, etc. Um, and even in the interviews, they'll ask you, why do you want this job? What prior experiences do you have? So all these prior experiences become important right from a very young age. And we see different secondary schools starting to push for work attachments of different kinds. Mm. Um, I think just a couple of months back, my, secondary, my, my sister who was in secondary school asked me, um, Doko, what should I choose in, in this list of work attachments. Mm. I was like, scrolling through, it didn't really end after a while of scrolling through. Mm. I was just shocked about how um, extensive the range of opportunities of secondary school students have yeah. these days. But I also realized that this is not the truth for all secondary schools in, in Singapore, particularly those that we work with at Access. Um, the neighborhood secondary schools typically don't have a strong a network of opportunities, yep. particularly because of their alumni groups or parent support groups where a lot of these opportunities come from, right? Um, so that's, that's again, I, I think something that um, we are trying to close the gap on mm. with access and, and what we do. Mm. Very interesting. I, I never had this this kind of like work experience when I was in secondary school and it is, it is because I'm, I was from a neighbourhood <laughs> school and it's, it's, it's interesting because I guess the question is like, why is it important to expose like, yeah, used to like a career or like work life kind of culture at such a young age? Mm. Yeah. yeah, so I think, um, you know, when we send our students for work attachments, they come back to us and they're like, wow, doing meetings in the working world is so different from the project meetings I have in school. Yeah. Um, sometimes the question can be quite open-ended and, you know, we have to ask ourselves, okay, what data do we have to back this up? We have to, you know, do user interviews, mm -hmm. ask people who at the end of the day will be our customers. And they are like, okay, so now I see maybe why I'm studying this or maybe mm -hmm. I know what to prioritize in studying. But also in terms of aspirations, it broadens up, right? Um, some people, you know, I, I think we are also very happy at Access that over time, our students have realized that they don't actually want to do media, even though they thought media is a, is a very interesting industry. Mm. And I think we are glad, both us and the students and the teachers are glad that they realized that at 15 or 16, before they choose to commit to two to three years of media studies in polytechnic. Yep, yep, and yep. they end up, you know, hating what they study and mm. they don't find fulfillment in the, in the working world. Um, and then they try to change jobs, but they also find it difficult to change jobs. Mm. So I think what we are trying to do also is um, help, helping youth bridge that information gap so that they are happy with whatever they, they study or choose to do at work in the future. Um, you know, as much as we talk about social mobility being living a better life than your parents, I think it's also important for, for you know, students or youth to 
be able to define what that happiness or what the success look like for themselves mm. with the different um, information and, and data sets, um, data points that they, they have through different experiences. Mm. Interesting. I so, mean, Nicole, um, in hindsight, <laughs> would you have chosen your, your job today um, given more information? And, and you know, would, you, would, would that be the pathway that you ended up with? <laughs> yeah, I feel bad at that because you were like, some of the students you interact with realize that they don't want to study media and I'm in the media industry. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very interesting because I think like when I was in secondary school, nobody, nobody ever asked me like, okay, it, very, very briefly, they'll be like, oh, what do you want to do in future, right? Mm. And then you say something like silly, but you don't really give it a lot of thought and yep. then you don't really have the opportunity to kind of sit on that. Um, and then you don't really have the opportunity to cultivate that all the way until like university and by the time you're already kind of you have to make the decision on like which course you want to go into. And I read, I remember I wanted to take like a gap year yep. before I entered university to kind of think about it. But then, you know, society's like, no, but what are you going to do in your gap year? What are you going to try and figure out, right? Yep. And yeah, it's very interesting. I think that it might have been quite different if I had somebody to shed some wisdom on my career choices as a as a young person. But I think the question is also then like, I didn't know that that was available to me, right? Like, it was not an immediate like, oh yeah, I can I can do this. You know, that kind of, um, what's that term? Like accessibility. It's just not there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I think it really goes back to, to having the right connections or knowing the right people or even knowing what companies and what industries are out there in the first place, right? Mm. Uh, I think different surveys have shown over the years that a lot of jobs are made through referrals. So even though you have a booming jobs portal, a lot of the jobs still come through, you know, knowing the right people, being at the right place, right time. And so I think that's also, you know, how we think about it at Access for mm. the students who really, really are very keen on, say, engineering or joining the tech industry in the future. We expose them to young working professionals who in the next five to six years will also go on in their career. And by the time our students graduate and are starting to look for jobs, they have someone to go to, to look for, who, have, who they have interacted before at a young age. And hopefully they would have um, nurtured a, a mentor-mentee relationship over that few years. And it would help bridge that transition into the workplace, whether it's um, getting a referral for a job or, you know, giving or the mentor giving the student a better understanding of what are different opportunities out there or what are skill gaps and experience gaps they need to close before they can be a very good and strong candidate for a position. It's very interesting because I think a lot of youths sometimes place themselves in a box where they believe that they are defined by, you know, their immediate like surroundings and like their background and stuff like that. And I guess like sometimes it could limit like their potential and it could be a different a variety of factors that cause this, right? Like financial status, um, their current academic grades, their like I said, family backgrounds, and they will have the train of thought. It's like um, like you said just now, you were sharing with us with, with me, right? That if you can't even manage your grades how do you even think about like handling the leadership positions or even thinking about like your career so i think it's a it's a self-esteem issue for these youths and like how can we how how are you guys helping youths break out of this like mentality yeah well i wish i had the one million dollar <laughs> answer and the silver bullet to that question because i think that's something we, we constantly think about with mm. each program that we run and with each youth that we interact with on our programs and the reality is that I guess there's no one-size-fits-all um, answer. But what we try to do at, at, at Access is different things. Um, so, of course, the broad um, overarching theme is really about exposing youth to the idea of different industries, pathways that 
they probably wouldn't um, think about or um, come into contact with on a day-to-day basis or even those that they come into contact with. So for instance, say SMRT, right? Mm. I guess a lot of them do take the MRT and buses, but do they know what is the whole ecosystem of jobs um, and pathways within those things? So for instance, SMRT, most youths, I guess, would take the, SMR, the, the MRT or bus um, to school or you know to meet friends, etc., but do they know what is the different engineering pathways possible? Or even that there are HR, marketing, um, executive roles within the company, which they can also work towards and aspire towards um, if they're really passionate about the transport industry. And even within transport, there's land transport, there's air transport and, mm. and maritime transport, which is booming these days, right? Um, how, how do we you know, bridge that um, information gap for them? And then the other the other part is of course you know um, a lot of these youths have that self limiting mindset and um, the lack of confidence mm. that comes from say being a particular academic stream or mm. you know the things that their peers or their teachers um, or even their family members say to um, them, say right? to them yeah. on a day to day basis um, and what we try to do is you know giving them injecting or designing for small wins in our programs um, whether it's the mentorship programs or the industry exploration programs um, to build that self-confidence up. And also the other part is, of course, the relationships, um, having someone older than them, um, whether it's your young working professionals or even volunteers from Access, who remind them that they are more than their grades. Um, everyone should have the, the ability to aspire to different pathways. And um, for us, it's really how do we help you get a better understanding of that pathway and point you to the right opportunities and it could be as simple as oh if you took this course in poly or ITE you might have a better chance in, in getting to that end destination rather than if you took this pathway or, or that pathway. Mm. What do you think is the most important factor for like mm. I guess like employers to kind of switch the attitude to be more accepting or open towards these youths? Yeah um, I think there's a few things and it's interesting that you asked that question because that was one of the unintended consequences of mm. our um, work attachment programs. Mm. We wanted that work attachment for youth to gain experience to the workplace. But in the process, we also realized that employers were changing their mindsets about young people and young people that come from certain academic streams or backgrounds. Mm. Um, I think, you know, when you attach the, the normal academic, normal technical label to a person, the instinctive... Um, impression that certain employers get as oh they're slow at learning yeah but they could be as they they could be slow at learning in the academic sense but they could be really good in the workplace whether it's picking up certain tasks or you know being proactive in, in different areas i think youths have shown that they have their own strengths that they can play to in the workplace where the the range of jobs and and tasks is a lot more varied and it gives them the ample opportunity to to shine so one of the one of the more surprising moments um at the end of our first program when I was visiting the different corporate partners that came on board for our work attachment programs was some of them did share with me that they didn't know that 15-year-olds this day would be able to produce a PowerPoint deck, do research on Google, um, understand things like human resource policies just by doing their desktop research. And I think that was really heartening for me because maybe now, you know, there is an opportunity for more 15 and 16-year-olds to acquire industry experience by doing work attachments or internships, which traditionally were more limited to 
older, more mature students. Yep. But um, I, I, I think that mindset will, will slowly shift as more and more youths um, enter the workplace on, on short-term work attachments from a younger age. So that's very heartening. And also, you know, how the negative stigma attached to certain labels is also changing. Um, I, I think one thing that really struck me was um, when we sent some students, a mix of um, normal students and express students to a work attachment, that we didn't tell the employers which stream they mm. were at the start. And then, you know, at the end I asked, oh, so is that, do you see any difference between student A, student B, student C, student D? And they were like, no, actually all of them are pretty competent, competent. they have their own strengths, they were able to deliver on their task, self-motivated. And I think that was really heartening. Then I told them, oh, actually student A and B were from normal cat, normal technical, mm. student C and D were express stream students. And I think it drives home the point that, um, you know, it's very easy to to attach a single label onto a student, but a student has so much more than that single label. In reality, like you said, there is actually a lot of potential if you give them the right tools and if you're willing to guide them in a certain direction. I also wanted to ask, so what does like a work attachment like program look like for you guys? Like what's usually like the duration and what can like students expect from, from it? Yeah, so um, our work attachments range anywhere from you know, two days to five days. Mm. Um, and the goal really is to give students a taste of how people interact in the workplace, as well as to cover out certain mini projects for them, which are linked to what that company or industry is thinking about. So we have attached students to, you know, social media companies like ASGAC before, and they the students help to iterate and test some of the products or, or ideas and concepts with ASGAC. And I think it's a very good fit there because um, ASGAC's primary audience is young people, right? Mm. Um, and and it makes it puts these youths in a position of you know it's setting them up for success because mm. they do have the ability to contribute good ideas and perspectives and very valid perspectives to the products that ASGAC's are ASGAC is thinking about or testing. And I think the other part is um you know the more uh, exploratory sort of work attachment programs. So we did we did have a few large companies come on board before and it was a bit hard for, for them to cover a single project and mm. office space for the students. So, you know, instead of a typical uh, small project for five days, you know, the students instead got to visit different parts of the company over the period of five days, spend time with the different staff um, and in the process, gain a sense of how older people think about, you know, um, questions, the workplace, picking up social cues, um, understanding different stories of people who work in those places and um, getting tips and, and building relationships with different people even if it's for that short like one week. Because I think how you guys bridge the gap really touches on improving like social mobility in Singapore. I guess what's currently like the biggest challenge in improving that and how can we make that better for like future? Yeah, so I think it, it goes back to how social mobility as a word and as a concept mm. is a very big one. And what Access is doing is only very fo is focusing on a very thin slice of it. Um, and I think that's also something we realized over the years when we speak to students who share with us, you know, their family backgrounds. And um, a lot of them actually is very heartbreaking, you know, when they, they share with you that they really want to do something after the program. They say they want to be a designer, but you know, they can't see themselves going through a few more years of school or mm. taking on like a certain internship 
um, because they need to contribute to their fam- family's finances. Um, they need to support their parents, um, so on and so forth. And I think for us, that's heartbreaking because yes, now the student has that worldview and better understanding of what aspirations they want to work towards, but then they don't have that wherewithal to um, work towards these pathways because of finances, um, family support, etc. Um, and I think the whole landscape is complicated, um, complex. You require different stakeholders, whether it's companies, um, non-profits like Access or even the government to come together to work on a, a, a solution or a set of solutions which comprehensively support young people, especially disadvantaged youths, in moving up you know, and pursuing the aspirations that they have developed. I think that's one of the challenges. And so um, we do see bright spots today, whether it's, you know, the Action for Alliance that the government is piloting and that's a lower wage workers um, Action for Alliance where it brings together different um, stakeholders from government, the private sector and nonprofits to ideate on solutions which can collectively support um, lower wage workers or, you know, you have things like um what else is there i think there's also a more networked approach these days where um you know nonprofits like us also speak to more mature nonprofits mm. um who work who are working with students say in the IT poly demographic or even a university demographic so we ensure that perhaps there can be that continuity of support throughout a, a person's yep. um education journey because that continuity is important and it also takes um the support from individuals, right? At the end of the day, access is dependent on the support of uh, mentors who volunteer their time mm. and effort. Um, and also, um, I guess it's o- also over the long term, we are also hoping that a lot of these relationships that we, we try to spark at access um, nurture over time. Um, so it really, you know, it requires a lot of effort from many, many different people and stakeholders to really move people up that social ladder and ensure that social mobility is vibrant in Singapore. Mm. I have one last question for you before we run up today's episode. So I think the conventional career route for many of us is changing, right? I think there's a lot of opportunities for youth to kind of explore what they want to do. Um, Yeah, and I think like entrepreneurship, you know, like home-owned businesses are growing as uh, an alternative like career path. I'm wondering what would you say or like what piece of advice you would give to any youth tuning in who might be interested in doing their own thing, be it like, yeah, maybe trying out their own business or taking a bit more of an unconventional like career route. What would you, what would you say to them? So for entrepreneurship, I think the scene is maturing. Mm. We are starting to see a lot more Singapore founders who have successfully exited, built unicorns. Um, and in that process, it makes the whole ecosystem more vibrant um, when you have that availability of mentorship or resources, whether it's venture capital, etc. Um, and so I will encourage you to find mentors um, mm. when they're building something. And I think that, you know, it's, it's also the same if you're looking at starting a ground-up initiative or non-profit, student club. Um, these days, a lot of people... And tra- entrepreneurship is not so much a unconventional path. Mm. I, I, I'm glad that it's not so much an unconventional path because more and more people are pursuing it, which means that, you know, the, the playbook or, you know, understanding why people commonly fail or what are the common obstacles that come into the path of young people trying to start something, um, that knowledge is more accessible and there are more people willing to guide you on that journey. 
uh, whether it's entrepreneurship or starting a non-profit. The other part is community. I think it's so true that, you know, whether it's entrepreneurs, people who are starting grown-up projects, it does take a lot of time, which means that you probably won't get to hang out with your friends in school as often. Mm. Um, and it's important to find a community of like-minded people, whether it's in the non-profit space or people who are fellow entrepreneurs to share, you know, what are the challenges, having that authentic conversation at the end, end of the long day or sharing war stories with each other, mm. um, sharing tips and tricks that, you know, you found helpful today or finding right people to hire or, or bring on board as volunteers. Those those um, become a lot easier when you have a community of people to, to support you on that journey. Um, and the last part, I guess, a lot of the times we are held back by the lack of funding, um, mm. whether it's startups or ground-ups. Um, I think that scene is also maturing. When Access started out, we were like, okay, how do we um, find money for this? So we were very lucky we found a bunch of private donors. Mm who took the chance on us as young people trying to make the world a better place. Um, and I think more and more people are willing to do that these days. Um, they think that young people will handle the finances uh, more maturely. And, mm. and I think that's also very heartening because it encourages a lot more ideas to sprout up. Uh, philanthropic funding is also starting to take larger bets on young people. Same for venture capital funding. Um, as long as you have developed and tested the ideas. But I think at the end of the day, it really boils back down to the idea of nurturing relationships. If you start that conversation with the private funder or even government funder, you know, two years um, before, and by the time you need the funding to go to the next stage, um, to incubate new ideas, it the conversation becomes a lot easier because there's more trust now. They've seen that you're willing to stay the game and that, you know, you are committed to, to the cause that, you said you have committed to. Mm. How can people find you if they want to get in touch, either asking you about mentorship-related questions or if they want to volunteer? Yeah, so you can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. It's A-C-C-E-S-S -S yep. Singapore. Important because some people find a blockchain crypto company <laughs> instead. Um, unfortunately... That was the know, first thing I saw at Google. <laughs> yes, um, but no, we are not the blockchain crypto. We are the social mobility non-profit one. And if people want to find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram, it's A-D-R-I-E-L-Y-O-N-G, Adriel Yong. Cool. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Adriel. Thanks, Nicole. It's been a fun show. Thank you. This show was brought to you by Youthtopia. This project showcases everyday Singaporeans that have made an impact in our society. Have someone in mind? Nominate that person at youthtopia.sg forward slash impact.